happening. Thank you all for being with us. Once more, if you have a Bible, we're in Acts chapter 28 tonight as we again come to a close in our time together in what is one of the most incredible, um, not just books of the Bible, but books that has ever been written. Um, It is a story that is thrilling, full of twists and turns and some uh, just spectacular moments. Um, But it's not just a a story, it's truth, it's history. Uh, But the way Luke wrote the story, inspired by God, of course, the way Luke wrote the story, really, uh, it's just such a gift. And I'm so thankful that we have been able to spend the last really 13 months together around this book, in this book. Uh, I didn't know, um, I knew it would take a while to get through. I didn't know it was going to take over a year. Um, but uh, I'm excited about what is in front of us uh, after tonight. Uh, it always works out this way. We're going to have a few weeks to talk about Christmas and to reflect and to look through the Bible at the promises uh, that Christmas brings us. And then come the new year, we'll start with a brand new study. So what a great time to start something new and what a great time really to end something. So uh, thankful, uh, thank, I'm thankful that somebody with a lot better uh, understanding of time um, organizes all this, right? Uh, he puts us in the right place and puts the right st- study in front of us for the right time. And, and I really feel like on the heels of something that, at least for our, church, our generation, um, we went through something that the church has never known how to go through. Uh, what does it mean to be the church when, uh, is it safe to gather? Is it, sa- is it not? And how do we respond to advice given from different people? I think this was a great time to get into the Word of God and hear about how the church came together. And we've read about how the church did not come together with the assist uh, or with the cooperation of the state or with the people around them. They had their backs against the wall. They were persecuted. They were afflicted. And yet, through it all, they have they endured and they have, they grew. And all these years later, um, we should be encouraged uh, that yes, we are facing challenging times, but the church was born in challenging times. We were made for this. Matt Chandler says it best, uh, the day was made for us and we were made for the day. That means our generation is facing something that we were made to face. The previous generation wouldn't have been able to face it because they weren't made for this. We were. So God is in control. And the book of Acts tells us that the church can do and go through anything if we stay faithful and stay on our mission. Maybe you, maybe you thought we would never make it to the end. But after, again, over a year of studying the book, we finally turned the page to the last chapter. But whatever we feel uh, just covering this book in depth cannot compare to the emotions that would have came over Paul and his companions as they finally arrive at the conclusion of their journey. So while their lives don't end in Acts 28, uh, they definitely have a sense of finality and a sense of accomplishment uh, because they had long set their sights on this particular destination. Uh, So what I want to do tonight uh, is quickly touch on the first part of Acts 28 as they make one last temporary pit stop before getting to their destination. So I want to spend a little bit of time up front looking at the first 10 verses, then we'll spend the bulk of our time uh, looking at what happens afterwards and use that as an opportunity to reflect on what the greater message of Acts has been 
and what we should pull from this chapter and from this whole study. Uh, so we last left off, there was a ship full of prisoners on their way to Rome. Uh, Paul was one of those prisoners. Uh, again, the boat was full of uh, Roman soldiers and Roman officials and mostly prisoners that were going to Rome to be tried uh, before the courts of Caesar. Now we read the story that they got on the boat and quickly as their voyage began, they faced some challenging winds and it went bad uh, pretty fast. Uh, so we talked last week about how Paul, in the middle of that storm, uh, literally led the people on the boat that were not Christians, by the way, led the people on the boat to trust in God and be thankful and worship God. Despite their dire situation, they began praising God before there was any sign of victory. So what better uh, or appropriate conversation to have on Thanksgiving or around Thanksgiving than that? But the story goes on uh, and they saw the island uh, from afar. They saw an island uh, on the horizon and they knew they had one shot. The boat was falling apart. The storm was getting worse. They were in the eye of the storm and they were just about to get into the worst part of it. Uh, They had one shot run ashore on the island so they drop the anchors they hold their breaths they drop the rudders and they crash onto the beachhead on an island called Malta now if you have in the back of your bibles you can look at maps but in case you don't or you want to see up here on the screen um, this is kind of a picture of the voyage Uh, they began over there at Antioch and they followed the little red arrow and I've got a white arrow pointing to the corner the bottom corner of the screen toward the very 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 small island of Malta and then you can see the, the the direction they would go in afterwards now Luke telling a story that he wanted to be uh held up there with any of the history books any of the of the history Um, accounts, Luke gives us all the details about every stop they made, every direction they went in, everything that they faced. So Luke gives us all this information uh, and he tells us that they ran the the ship ashore onto an island of Malta. Everybody survived as God said they would. Everyone survived, uh, but they weren't out of the woods yet uh, because who knows what lay in front of them on this island, this uh, mostly uncharted island uh, down south of their destination. So let's jump into Acts 28 and let's hear uh, a really interesting story. Let's read the first six verses. Now, when they had escaped, they found them, they found out that the island was called Malta and the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And that means it bit him. Okay, and just in case, I want you to know this, it didn't just touch him and then bounce off. It latched its fangs into his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom through Though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. So they believe that this is the way the world works. This man uh, barely escaped death from the sea, but he was not going to get away from it. This viper was punishing him for something that no doubt he was guilty of. But verse 5, I love this. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Uh, I guess they were used to this happening a lot. Uh, And after they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. So one minute they think this is the worst criminal that's ever lived. The next minute, this man must be divine because how could he survive that? In the region, there was an estate. Oh, we'll read that in a little bit. 
So a lot of, uh, you know, from a lot of range of emotions here, uh, as they land on this island, they encounter these natives. Were they going to be hostile? Were they going to be welcoming? They welcome them. And next thing you know it, Paul has got a viper latched onto his hand. And then the response of the natives is pretty incredible. And this gets us, uh, allows us to kind of talk about the way the world worked back in the day and really kind of the way it works today. Um, the, the pagan religions of the ancient world that still have their you know, vestigial uh, kind of remnants lingering around and, and even Christianity has been sadly influenced by them. The pagan religions of the ancient world all shared a worldview that pretty much looked like this. They believed that good things happened to good people or those who sacrificed the most to the gods. They believe that good things happen to good people or the people that give the most to the gods and make the gods happy in spite of the bad things they've done. They made a deal with the gods and the gods said, okay, you're okay this time. They believe that good things happen to good people or people who pay the most to the gods or bad things happen to bad people. That's the way they saw the world work. That's the way that every religion understands the universe. Good things happen to good people unless there's some backdoor deal you can make with God. And bad things happen to bad people. Now, the people of Malta refer to this as justice in verse number uh, four. Uh, Some Bibles have that word justice capitalized, referring to the Greek goddess of justice uh, that that was known to stir up a storm to punish people that were worthy of of being uh, being judged in their their mythology. So the people of Malta refer to this as justice. People in today's world call this justice karma. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Maybe there's a way out, but probably this is how it works. Uh, if uh, If anything or anyone challenged this worldview, then they must be the exception to the rule. And who knows, they may be one of the gods in flesh as they deemed Paul when he survived this, what they thought would be an irreversible wound. That's what we hear from the natives of Malta as this topsy-turvy sequence of events plays out. Paul's ship has crashed. He must have done something bad. Paul is attacked by a viper. He must be bad. But then Paul is spared. (laughs) He must be a god. Now, let me just uh, let me just say this very clearly with the highest enthusiasm and the most uh, with, 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 with as bold font as I can give it with as many underlines as I can give it. This is not the Christian worldview. Christians, we do not believe what is on the screen before you, what the people of Malta believe. We do not believe that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. That is not our worldview. Sadly, some of this pagan rationale has and often does creep its way into our theology from time to time, but it's not biblical. It's not biblical. First off, First off, we believe that the worst possible set of circumstances happened to the best person who ever lived. So if anybody ever tells you, well, you know what, good things happen to good people, that's how it works. Bad things only happen to bad people. Our theology is built on, our cornerstone is the story of a man who was perfect, God in flesh, mind you. He was perfect, and every bad thing that could happen happened to him in a span of 12 hours. Betrayed, aban- uh, abandoned by his closest friends, 
mocked, humiliated, spit on by Rome, flogged to the inch of his, de- of his life, nailed to a Roman cross, and then suffering what cannot even be described in our language, the wrath of God. We believe that the worst circumstances came on the best person. So we don't believe that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. So if anybody ever comes at you with this kind of teaching, in the name of the Bible especially, they're lying to you. And if your flesh even considers this, please, please don't give in. This sequence, this crash, the attack, the survival can be summed up like this. And this is the picture of what Christians should believe and what we are taught in the Bible. This story embodies that our world is fallen, but there is redemption in Christ. That's what we believe. Our world is a broken place, but Jesus brings redemption even to the darkest of corners of this world. We believe our world has fallen. Bad things happen in this world. Things fall on people, people that do good things, people that do bad things. The world is broken, but there is redemption in Christ. We believe that we all deserve judgment, not just bad people, even good people, because there really aren't any. We all deserve judgment, but we find mercy in Christ. You know what mercy is? Mercy is, by definition, things that bad people and only bad people can receive because good people don't need mercy. Isn't it true? Good doesn't need mercy because it's good enough on its own. But Christians, we believe that our world is fallen, but there is redemption. We believe that we all deserve judgment, but we find mercy. Paul's shipwreck was not because he or anybody deserved it. It was the result of a fallen world where bad things happen to everybody. Yet his faith, despite the storm and crash, testifies that he found that Christ gave purpose to all things. So why did the storm happen? The world has fallen. Why did the boat crash? The world has fallen. But what does Paul teach us in his resilience? There is redemption even in the fallenness and the brokenness of this world. The snake bite and the, the snake attack and the bite is yet another sign our world is broken. This is not because Paul did or did not sin. Our world is broken and some, sometimes snakes bite people. Sometimes things break. Even though all of us in our sin deserve much worse than that, Paul did not get bitten because he deserved it, but he was bitten so that he might be an example to the mercy of God. Do you see that? That this bad thing happened to Paul so that God might make a display of his mercy that is for all. In Christ, we find much better than we ever deserve. Now, to give you more, ver- more than just my own words to come back to all this up, our theology and, and what we believe about the world can really be summed up in a few verses found in the book of Romans, written by, of course, the Apostle Paul. Paul says this in Romans 3, For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no distinction. There is no difference. Paul wants to make sure that we understand this. Jew, Gentile, there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve judgment. We all deserve the worst. But 
even though we fall short, we are all, notice that he, let's go back to the other verse. Let me show you this in, in full sequence. Where he says, for there is no distinction for all. You can take out the rest of that because he's talking, he's making a double statement here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he says, and all receive and all are justified by his gift, by his grace as a gift. So you see that Paul's making a double statement there. All are sinful and all can be justified by grace. All have sinned and likewise all are justified by the gift of God, the gift of salvation that is in Christ. So we deserve judgment, but we find mercy. Paul says in Romans 5, 20 and 21, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That we manage to overcome trials and struggles isn't because we have done some good to work our way out, but it's because of God's mercy. But even if this world does overcome us because sin does reign in death, people die every day because this world is fallen and sin increases. Yet the hope that we have is while sin increases, grace much more abounds and there is eternal life for those that die in Christ and there is a resurrection to come for all that have went on to be with Jesus. That is what Christians believe. That is our worldview. That is our theology. Uh, Paul dismisses this notion that, well, I only would have died if I would have been bad and I only, I only survived because I'm good. Paul says, no, no, no. I, 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 yeah, I'm sinful, but that's not why I was bitten. And yeah, I survived, but I'm not a God. I'm just a man, but it's the mercy of God on display. That's why all this happened. Paul dismisses the notion that he was anything special very quickly. He simply says to the people that he was a vessel in which God had poured out mercy and poured out grace. He shares the God of mercy and grace with the natives. And I make a big deal about this because I think this has been pretty clear in Acts. But we live in a world where if we're not careful, we will begin to justify ourselves by the good things that happen to us. And we will condemn ourselves by the bad things that happen to us. And unless God brings us out of those bad things, we'll begin to question where we are with God and where we stand with God. But let us understand as Christians, we do not believe that good and, good and bad are, are you know, responses to what we are or who we are. We believe that the bad happens because our world is broken, but the good happens because we have a merciful God that has given us all the grace that abounds more and more and more. That's what Paul has been spreading to the world in the book of Acts. And that's what he shares with these people at Malta. Verse 7 through 10, he, this section is summed up. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was uh, Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and he laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came out and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So once again, we see God using Paul to do miraculous things. But let me just, let me just say all this. Paul would not have been in the position to do this had he not been obedient through all that we've read about the last couple of weeks, like the last month. Do you see that he could have escaped that? He did not have to go to Jerusalem. He didn't have to appeal to Caesar. He didn't have to get on that boat. But because he was obedient in all those steps, 
he was able to share the gospel with an unreached people group. Paul always took the chance to share Jesus in, pow- in, in his power. And really, Paul was always getting the opportunity to make Jesus known through miraculous means because he had made himself available to be used through extraordinary means. Paul didn't just walk up to these people because he was, you know, have, taking a day off, right? Paul allowed himself to be used through extraordinary means that nobody else would have ever signed up for. And that's why he was able to be used and able to make Jesus known through this miraculous means. If we want to be used like Paul was used here in Acts 28, we've got to have followed the same road that he, that he took from Acts 20 to Acts 28. I'm not saying it's impossible. It is possible. But let's just understand why he was able to do this because he made himself available. He was following Jesus every step of the way. Speaking of which, this is going to be kind of the centerpiece of our conversation going forward. But let's read verses 11 through 16 as they finally reach their destination. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Epi Forum and three ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him most likely he was chained to that soldier but more on that in a minute and so there it is they finally made it and I want you to understand I want you to just imagine as Luke is writing the story now he's in this story he's he's with them he says we several times here I want you to think about how much Luke must have grinned as he began to wrap this story up as the narrative finally allowed for these words to be put into ink. And so we came to Rome. A few chapters ago, we were told that the Jews were expelled from Rome, which pretty much sent the message that Paul wasn't going to get in. But here they got. They got there. They arrived there. This was the payoff that was set up back in chapter 1. And with the aid of the Holy Spirit, everything came together brilliantly to fulfill the words that Jesus spoke way back then. I want you to understand this should have never happened. They should have never made the the, the message of Christianity, the message of a Jewish carpenter who was not anyone famous, who wasn't anybody special, who had a small following that betrayed him at the end of his life. The message of a Jewish carpenter, his movement had made it all the way to the center of the Roman empire the very empire that killed him here his message came for them back in acts chapter 1 verse number 8 jesus said this over the disciples you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem in all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth 
And here they were at world's end as far as they knew. They should have never made it this far, but against all odds, they made it to Rome. And that's a fact. Extra biblical texts even prove that. The Bible tells the story that the church made it into Rome against all the odds, against all the opposition, against all those that said, remember back in Acts 5 when Gamaliel, one of the Pharisees, said, well, this movement will never amount to anything, but we better not persecute it just in case it is something, but it's not, obviously it's not something. And all these years later, of course, we know what was proven true. You know, we can easily read Acts 1-8 as if the goal was just to make it there. But we know the real goal was to be able to be a witness there, right? Isn't that what the verse says? You will be my witnesses. The goal wasn't just to get there, but it was to be a witness there. And I want to talk about this for just a few minutes because this really is the heart of what Acts has been teaching us. The Great Commission isn't about finish lines. It's about starting points. The Great Commission is not about getting to a point and being done. It's about starting something new and so many different lives. Every new area the gospel tapped into, made a splash in, was a new beginning for that part of the world to begin experiencing new life in Christ. The gospel making it to Rome is a big deal, not because there would be no more work to do. Just because the book ends here doesn't mean the work ended here. Of course not, because here we are all these years later. And we're not here because they got there and they didn't do anything. We're here because they got there and they went to work and they changed everything. The gospel making it to Rome is a big deal, again, not because the work was finished, but because they saw the work that could now be done in the hearts and lives of so many unreached people. Likewise, when we finish a study, as we wrap up another study, and we've done so many here as a, as a church, whether it be a whole book or a subject that spawns many different books, spans many different books, acquiring all the knowledge that, sh that we get from the Bible, and this is so important for even the most devoted of Christians, especially the most devoted of Christians, because when we get to heaven, we're not gonna, be, we're not gonna take a test. I mean, yeah, we know that. I mean, some of you might would be good at it. I'd love to take a test when I get to heaven. I think I'd do pretty well. Not because I know more than anybody else, because I, I've read the Bible a few times. But when I get to heaven, I'm not going to sit down at the table and take a test that's going to show everybody else that I was smarter than them. That this knowledge we acquire is not just so we can put it in the back of our minds and say, well, I checked that box. This knowledge we acquire is not about closing a book, but rather it's about having a book opened with a lot of notes and highlights that remind us we have been given a lot. We've been equipped with a lot and are able to do so much now. Do you realize that as a student of the Bible, you have been a, if you've been here for all of this or just part of it, as you come to the end of a book, like as big of a deal as the book of Acts, you have acquired so much wisdom and knowledge from this precious book of the Bible. We haven't come to the end of our time in Acts, but we have been thoroughly equipped to review and refresh ourselves with this material so that we might be the best disciples we can be. You know, I think if the Evangelical and Baptist Church of America over the past century has made one error, we've made a few, but if we've made one it's that we often present Christianity and salvation and faith as if it's just a category, as if it's something that we get to the, we get it, we're at the end of the line, hey, good job, go back to living, you'll, one day you'll need that. It's like a category, it's like a registration card, it's a sign-up sheet. We present a version of Christianity that is a finish line, 
But that's not how the Bible details our faith. According to the Bible, according to the Bible, not me, Christianity is an ever-growing relationship with Jesus. That's how the Bible defines Christianity. To be a Christian is to be a Jesus, what's the word? Follower. And what do followers do? They follow. Keep that in mind. In our presentation, we often tell people they just need to be affiliated with Jesus. You gotta sign up, you gotta check the box. You just gotta register with Jesus. Be a fan of Jesus. And again, I'm not ridiculing any, anybody particular, but I think we often understand Christianity like we understand sports fans. You know, there's the diehard people that they have, it on, they have their stickers on their car and when you see them at the games, they're just obnoxiously loud and they just are going crazy. Hey, that's great, they love their sport. But then there's the people that are fair weather fans and you don't even know they were a fan unless they were, you know, the team was about to win the big, you know, go into the Super Bowl or something. You know, there's the people that are diehards, the people that are fair weather, and then there's the people that are casual fans that they don't ever watch and they really don't pull for a certain team. But if you ask them, they would say, well, I guess I pull for my home team. And I think we often think Christianity is like that. Oh, there's some people that are loud, some people that are just here every once in a while, and there's some people that even though they don't ever show it, they still essentially believe it. But why have we allowed Christianity to become so watered down by our world? Because that's not the way the Bible presents Christianity. That, oh, we explain the diehards because they're just super enthusiastic, but the rest of us, we're fans too. Why have we allowed that to be the Christianity that we believe? You see, to be a Christian isn't to be a fan of or merely affiliated with. It's to be a follower of Jesus. What did Jesus always say to people when he met them? Follow me. Hey, not, not go to this website and sign up. Register with me. Vote for me once every couple years. He didn't say, hey, just say you're a fan. Buy a t-shirt. You know, put my name on your wall. That's not how Jesus invited people to believe, is it? You know, affiliate with Jesus. What does that even mean? Anybody can be affiliated with Jesus. Some people are really affiliated. Some people just send them some money every once in a while. But that's not Christianity. Is it? It's to be a follower. You know what followers do? They follow Jesus. A follower, it means our lives are tethered to and always moving towards and with, emphasis on the word, moving with Jesus. Now, followers are not perfect, but they're not static either. Some of us are slower than others. That's okay. Some of us stumble, but guess what? When we stumble, he waits on us. That's what good leaders do. Good leaders don't leave their their followers in a ditch. They help them out, and Jesus does that. If we ever sit down, he comes back to us and says, hey, do you need some help? Do you remember who you are? Your follower. Followers don't just check in every four years. Followers don't just check in every so many days. Followers have a constant dynamic relationship with who they're following. The book of Acts has presented what it means to follow Jesus in such a clear and powerful way. We've seen some that were ever diligent, Paul. We've seen some that stumbled, like Peter. We've often talked about how in Acts, the church is a movement. The church is a movement in the book of Acts. That means that the members were constantly moving because what do you do if you're part of a movement? You move, right? Following Jesus and the Holy Spirit. If we've learned anything from the book of Acts, it's that God has not called us 
God has called us not just to join the movement, but to be the movement. Does that make sense? To be moved by his spirit. I pray that we can take what God has given us over the past year and cherish it and treasure it and apply it. You know, every time we finish a book, it causes me to be a bit reflective. I hope you don't mind that we've done that tonight. But as Christmas draws near, I think about how many times I've preached through the Christmas season. I think about how many times we've finished different books of the Bible. This is my second time teaching through the book of Acts in in the last 10 years of ministry. But I already see so much that we miss and so much that we could get next time we go through it. Which is why we should never see any topic or text as a closed book. But may they remain open books that teach us forever. Just like our walks in our walks with God, we remain forever followers. The Apostle Paul may finally arrive at Rome in this chapter, but his journey was far from over. While incarcerated at Rome, he was given liberty to do ministry in many different ways. He would write letters to the churches that he had planted that we've seen him plant in Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi. His word in Philippians helps carry this notion that he was always seeking to take a next step because he always believed, hey, there's more for me to do. There's more following to do. Philippians 3 verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on because what do followers do? They press on. Even when you're the Apostle Paul, you've got more following to do because isn't that what it means to be a Jesus follower? You never become the leader. Not I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. This is so big. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had seen a lot and done a lot, but he saw more to do. Think about this. A lot of us, we, and, and again, this is, this is natural. A lot of us, we get hung up on those sweet spots of our faith journey. We get hung up on those high marks of our faith journey that maybe are in our past. And we, are, we're, you know, we think, well, maybe another one will happen, but until another one happens, nothing ever, is ever gonna undo or redo or be better than what's happened behind me. Sometimes while it's good to remember and rejoice, we also need to realize that the sweet spot of our past was meant to prepare us, not disable us or spoil us. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, even the good things. Paul says, that was yesterday. I know I did a lot for him last night, but I got to do more for him today because that's what followers do. They keep moving because there's more to do. The best is in front of us. May we allow the past to prepare us, but may it never make us its prisoner. Do you hear me? May the past never imprison us. You know what what I mean by that? When Joshua got to the Jordan River, he didn't hold up a stick expecting God to do it the way God did it for Moses. He didn't. Had he done that, he wouldn't have gotten crossed. Elijah Elijah, Elijah in 1 Kings 18 is on the mountain glorifying God. In the next chapter, he's wanting to die because of his depression and anxiety that he allowed to get bigger than the victory of God. One chapter later, he had already given up because he was not prepared to move forward because that moment on the mountain ended. 
In the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, when they rebuild the temple, the Bible says that some of the older folks were sad because the temple wasn't as glorious as it used to be. And Haggai and Zechariah rise up and say, listen, that, those days are gone. And I, I love those days, but they're not here anymore. But do you think that God is stuck back there? I don't think so. This is so important for our individual walks with God, but also for, church, for the church to consider about our collective history. The book of Acts has taught us some incredible things about God and his ability to work through the church. But guess what? He's still the same God. Do you believe that? That we've read a lot about what God did in the book of Acts. And maybe you've seen God do things in your past like he did in the book of Acts. And maybe you think, well, that's just behind me. But doesn't the Bible teach us that God is the same today? In fact, Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he, he led these people in the work they did, so he's still leading us, isn't he? Jesus is not stuck in the past. He's not stuck in Acts in the first century, 20th century. He's with us right now, today, and will be with us tomorrow. You know what that means? No matter how perilous the times get, God's presence and power will never waver. But if our faith wavers, we may not know the same presence and power they did. What did God tell Moses when Moses told God he heard about the God of Noah and Abraham and Joseph? God says, oh, I'm, not, I'm not I was, I am I am. He's the God of the moment. You know, many of the Jews had trouble believing in Jesus because they had God locked away in the past, even though the Old Testament clearly said there was more to do or more to come. Now, the New Testament makes it clear God's revelation is complete. His work of redemption is finished we aren't waiting for more to happen, but we are waiting for him to fulfill what he said would happen. Jesus will come again. And he sent the church on this mission to prepare the world for his return. Right after the Great Commission back in Acts 1, remember what happened? He told them they would be witnesses to the end of the earth. And then Acts 1.9 says, when he said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men, angels, stood by them in white robes. And they asked, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus that you have just seen die and raise again, this same Jesus who has been taken up into heaven will come in the same way. He'll be the same Jesus he was when you saw him go up. The same one's coming back. So while we wait, we are literally living out the book of Acts in our time, building off what began that we've learned and read about. You know, this is why we study church history, because Acts may end with chapter 28, but Acts 29 is being lived out by the church, has been being lived out by the church for the last 2,000 years, building off of this foundation. The rest of Acts 28 features Paul witnessing to some Jews, but he explains why many wouldn't believe because it was predicted in the Old Testament, which is why the church age was bigger than just borders, the borders and boundaries of the Middle East. Like we saw back in Acts 8, 9, and 10, the gospel was without barriers, and it moved beyond Judea to the ends of the earth, even to Rome. Luke ends the story like this, down in verse 28 through 31. 
The Apostle Paul says to his Jewish brothers and sisters, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And this is the, just the beginning of the age when the Gentiles will come to Christ. When he had said these words, the Jews departed in a great dispute among themselves, had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence, with all boldness, no one forbidding him, no hindering at all. Remember back in Acts 1, before Jesus gave them the Great Commission, they asked him, is this when you will restore the world and bring your kingdom? And he said, no, y'all are going to go be a witness to the whole world. Then the end shall come. Acts is the beginning of that work. And that work continues. But Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come will be proclaimed the end will come do you see what that verse is telling us and what acts is set up for us the gospel is going to get to the ends of the earth whether we participate or not because god's always going to have somebody that's going to participate but we are racing towards the finish line, the fulfillment of the work that started in Acts. Paul would finish out his life continuing to follow his Savior, paving the way for the next generation for, meant for us to come to Christ. May we take what we've learned and continue to follow Jesus because he is leading us to his kingdom. May we be bold and not delay because indeed he is coming again. May it be said of us when he comes that he found us doing what we were called to do. He found us following him until the very last day. Later on in Matthew 24, Jesus says this, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Jesus never really explains what he means by that last line, but I think the f line before it's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Find so doing. You know what that means? Finds following Jesus. May we be forever followers of Jesus like the Apostle Paul exemplified for us. And may we continue the work that began in the book of Acts. May we continue to be followers of Jesus so that we might usher in his kingdom that we know is coming very soon. Church, thank y'all for being a part of this Bible study over the last year or more. It's been a blessing to teach. It's always a sacred and precious thing to lead God's people through any chapter of the Bible, much less a whole book. That is an honor that I don't deserve. And that is a sacred blessing that we have been given that I hope that, like I said, we're not closing the book, but we have an open book in front of us with so much We've been given from it. Let's use it to follow Jesus more closely than ever. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the honor of holding your word every single week and getting to teach what is really my favorite book of the Bible. 
getting to see the church go from fledgling to fully empowered and focused on following Jesus to the ends of the earth. It's such a blessing. And Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to see that you're the same God today as you were then? And what the story doesn't end in Acts. You began to do it and you continue to do it. You're the same today as you were then. You'll be the same tomorrow. Lord, would you fill us with the power and the presence of God that was on display in Acts and would you help us to be faithful followers that we never reach the finish line, but every day is a starting point to be filled with new life and to share that new life with new people. God, open our eyes to the work in front of us, open our hearts to receive your help from above and open our hands that we might reach out to more and more that are in need. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.